Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein and Mimi Amaral. Uh, today's Dr. show, Amy. Dr. Mimi, I was being kind. Thank she doesn't you. like that. That's yes. too bad. Okay. To say it. It's All right. okay. <laughs> today's show, uh, we are continuing in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, and Mimi, as she likes to be called. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, when you're saying that, it's also quite an experience and a privilege to be part of this side of life. And uh, we've met so many incredible people. Um, once you strip away all the superficiality and the social, uh, not the most meaningful stuff in the world, it may be, uh, you come down to what really matters. And we are part of that world and part of the people that are in that. And it does usually involve pain and suffering and struggle and loss and pretty rough stuff, but it's it's the normal, it's a normal part of life. Um, I consider it a privilege. I've never met so many good people. Um, and I went to a funeral on Saturday of a friend that was killed in a car accident and the place was packed with people I I didn't think I knew they would know them, but I did. And it was really interesting because I went, because I cared about the man who was killed, but I was also not sure what was going to happen there. It turned out to be an inspiring time hmm. and very hopeful. and. It was almost like everything that's very superficial was just stripped away. And we were talking about what really mattered. And everybody there, the place was packed. It was a big place. When we talked afterwards, same thing. And amazing how many people are really dealing with difficult things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know. A lot of times I consider them civilians or pedestrians in the sense of they have no support. They really don't know what to do in that time. They make it through but they pay a high price. And one of the things we want to do is give them the knowledge and the tools for this part of life because it's going to come for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so it's not such a shock. And so they're not pedestrians or civilians anymore, that they have some supportive abilities and skills and that they'll know that there's people that can come alongside them that that have true empathy and understanding. Um, And I think we're on the right track. Because uh, when I met these folks and I listened, I did run into enough of them that I would consider very vulnerable civilians that had been going through very troubling and tough times. And when I talked to them and I heard what how, what they were going through and how they were coping, it kind of set me back and going, these folks don't know how to handle this. And they need just some good people to come alongside them who have the heart, the empathy, and the experience to guide them. So it was an eye-opener, but it was also very inspiring. We have someone like that with us today. We do. A special, one of our favorite guests, and one of our favorite people. Yes. Thank you. And she's got a lot to say today. She's been saying it before. We said, wait, save it. We had to tell her to zip it up because we want to make sure it's on the radio show because 
the podcast because she has a lot to say. Yeah. It's Mimi Amaral. And she not yeah. only has a lot to say, she has a new book. A new book. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. And it's called Death Before and After a Survivor's Guide. And I went through it last night and I thought I was just going to. Oh. We'll show everybody we there it is. Zero in on this one. Zoom in on this. Mimi says that Thank this you. is went. Uh, um, it was published last week, and it has become an Amazon national and international bestseller. And if yeah. you want to see what Mimi looks like when she dolls herself up, it's yeah. on her back. Now we don't see her that way too often, but this is a she's usually team. coming from the gym. Beautiful. When we see her. Yeah. yeah, I hey. did just get out of the gym. And just pop right, over today here. or after this? Today. No, not there. I have makeup on there. Just I don't beautiful. have makeup look on. Look how great she looks. <laughs> anyway, okay. <laughs> Thank we, you. You can tell we love her, but she's also a very smart cookie. And Thank she's you. got a very down-to-earth side to her. Um, I find this book to be very important um, and a great tool for people going through these difficulties that we've been talking about and some of the logistics and some of the things that you need to know. And boy, when you're in crisis... Yeah. and you're losing someone or you're dealing with the end-of-life issues, it can be so hard to cope with the details and the challenges that in, are entailed and how much you need to know. Yeah. But for, I, I don't know. I think you, a lot of people know. No, and you came in this morning and you gave it, for you, a very high compliment. You said it was very practical. And for yeah. you, that's what matters. Can people pick this up and use it in a time when they are overwhelmed and stressed and grieving, suffering, losing someone, can they pick this up and find some help for what they need to know? And the answer is yes. yes. Yeah. Thank you. There's a lot of empathy to this. Um, there's uh, testimonials um, of folks sharing what they went through. And um, I'm going to let Mimi talk about this. This is going to be f for yes. her today yes. and for all of you. And I assure you, Steve, is our technician is giving me signals here. You're looking at this camera. This is the camera. I'm supposed to know what he means. Okay. <laughs> this camera. Yeah, that's the camera. <laughs> oh. Well, how about that? Okay. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is Peter looking at the camera. How now. about that? Well, there good to see you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, getting back to what... Yeah, I'd, I'd no, like... that matters too, but this It is does. But I'd like to hear... Uh, I'd like to hear, Mimi, what, what brought you this book to you or what... What caused you to bring this book out of you? Um, well, basically, about six years ago, my father um, was going through a journey. Actually, it was probably about seven and a half years ago of cancer. He was diagnosed. Um, my parents told me, prior to telling anyone, um, I was to keep it on the down low, basically hush-hush until they were ready to tell my siblings. But I was the first to know that he had cancer. I held that for about eight months, and then I basically strongly suggested that he finally tell everybody in the family, you know, sit him down and um, let him know that, you know, he had cancer and he was not going to survive it and that the journey was to begin, you know, be with him as much as possible. So during that journey, I was the main support emotional, mental, physical, you know, asking questions um, during that process of the end of life for my father. And while I was going through it, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. I didn't know so much. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what bridges are going to come. I didn't know what tools I was going to need. I didn't know what questions I should ask or not ask. And I just felt after walking that journey with my dad um, and supporting my mom, um, and then walking, you know, through the dynamics of everything from, 
hospice care, palliative care, uh, living trusts, wills, family dynamics, etc. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah. You're tell us I about. just felt that after my dad passed, um, that I didn't want anybody to ever feel as lost and confused and, and not know how to process this type of, of the journey because we're all going to face this at some point, regardless true. of who we are with a loved one, whether it be, um, you know, a, a parent or a sibling or a family member or even our spouse or loved one. So I just don't want anybody to feel the way I felt during that journey and that walk. And now I'm basically walking the end of life with my mom too. So I feel like I have a little bit more tools and understanding. Um, but that's why the book came out is because I don't ever want anybody to feel as confused and crossing each bridge not knowing how to cross it sure. i want to make it as easy as possible well that sounds like the true empathy where you have to go through yeah. it yourself first and not the good part but the yeah. confusion the difficulty the overwhelming experience yeah. of it and then come out of it with a sense of purpose mm -hmm. um and that to us is so important that even through these struggles and painful experiences that we have to go through for yeah. for wh those that we love and care about uh, but there tends to be the hope is that there is purpose in it all mm -hmm. even though it's hard to see at the time because we're dealing with so many me mechanical logistical things every day yes. you can't really think so big and yeah you know and and so broad because we're just dealing with this just responding to the things that are happening day to day and that's yeah. plenty important yeah. but there is also a time to step back and reflect on what you're going through and um, realize that there's going to be a purpose there is hope mm -hmm. um, although emotionally <laughs> it's not always that clear particularly when you're in the emotion of it all but what Mimi, I hear Mimi saying today is that her reflective time gave her, she also came to a sense of purpose mm -hmm. and a deeper empathy for so many other people that she knows are going to go through and are, everyone goes through this. Yeah. But she's going, she's sharing, um, what I, I love to hear is that she was lost, she was confused, she didn't know what to do. And that's a crisis. That, under these circumstances, a crisis. And she's saying if she could give them some, give folks some tools, that it, it could at least alleviate some of the stress and distress, mm -hmm. and make it a little bit easier, and give them a handle on some of the logistical things that have to happen. And that's what this book is about. Yeah, it's a, it's a very practical, extremely practical. A lot of logistics. Yeah. What the things that need to be thought about. Um, possibly avenues that you can choose from. I put multiple things in there. Um, I don't tell humans what to do. I just give options. Like, this is, these are some options that you might be able to think about. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, as I was, like I said, as I was going through it, <coughs> I had to learn as I was going, you know, and make the best decisions that I could make. I hope you're okay. So Must be the subject next. <laughs> this is right? Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to share what I learned. You know, and if that helps even one human in the world, then I feel that the book was worth it. The sitting down and writing it was worth it, you know, so. I, I think it's very practical. I, and I'm dealing with things like this and I have before. Yeah. <coughs> and the truth of the matter is, I'm one of those people that when I'm up challenged, I learn this stuff right at, at the seat of my pants. And I've learned a lot of the things that you've written about. Um, and what you write about is 
very, very practical and realistic, and it has to be dealt with. Yeah. I do. I am like that. I'm that kind of person anyway. But it would have been a lot nicer. Well, I guess I don't even know anymore because I've been doing it. Um, but to have something like this as a guideline, that's to me really good. I I think I think uh, I, I, we're going to go into a break, but I just want to throw in something that we can maybe talk about after the break, and that is, we've had this discussion before that there are times when uh, a family member or a loved one is dying or very ill, and the challenge is for someone to become a caregiver to stay and help mm -hmm. or whether they feel they can't handle the situation and might want to run a book like this could help make a difference mm -hmm. it, it, it definitely could and um, I want to get back to something after the break too is that when you said when her came up with her dad she embraced it she yes. took it on and I want to talk to you about that because the last time we did this mm-hmm you said you've got to come back because I haven't learned this well enough no, yet. No, because I'm one of the people that when it, something comes, I am engaged yeah. immediately. Yeah. But it's the people that run away. That she has much more empathy than I do, <laughs> and does. a lot more. Um, she's a lot more open-minded than Peter is, and Dr. Bernstein can be very judgmental at that time. All right. Like, so we'll come back. On that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. <laughs> Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Today we are joined by one of our favorite guests, Mimi Amaral, who has a new book, Death, I'm sorry, Death, Before and After, A Survivor's Guide. And just before our break, uh, we had asked Mimi to kind of describe the process of, of what drew her to writing this book, her experience of being a caregiver for her father and feeling lost and confused and needing some resources uh, uh, practical information mm -hmm. and support for the process she went through with him. Uh, we also talked about how this could help someone who feels overwhelmed in such a way that they might even not want to take on the caregiving role. Mm -hmm. So I know that this is a this is a topic we've talked about before and is a challenge and I know you bring in a, a whole side of this discussion that's important to hear both of well, you. Well I remember reading in the book last night I thought I was going to just go, go browse through it and shut it down. I couldn't put it away and Good. it did keep me up really late. I'm sorry but, but I'm no, happy about yeah, that. Yeah no really. <laughs> it's that, it was that. It, it is I a mean, best I, It had so much in it that I thought was yeah. very relevant. And certain things, most things I knew about, and certain things I didn't, I didn't, and I, I was very interested. Um, and I want to ask Mimi some of the questions about that. And yeah. We certainly have had the experiences that she writes about. We still having them dealing with my wife and my mother, and so many people are coming to us. Yes. That are dealing with this, and mm -hmm. Jenny's dealing with it. Or I'm dealing with husband, it too. Um, other people that are, phew, it's just all over the place. So. One of the things, I wanted to ask you some questions about it, but I think that I wanted to go back to one thing. Um, not the most empathetic person right now on this issue, but she is. And that has to do with what this can, the impact that this can have on the family dynamics, mm -hmm. yeah. the family, what, the, what families uh, uh, go through over this, what it reveals, too, and what yeah. it begins to bring out. Yes. And sometimes 
what wasn't there before all of a sudden new things come becomes up becomes exposed or crystallized or something yeah. that you, it, they act completely out of character mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you got a completely different person on your hands mm-hmm. um, that could be good or it could be I'm hard talking, and I'm talking about yeah. the ones that aren't mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'd love to hear about the ones that make that shift in between and say I can't run I can't bury my head in the sand I have got to deal with this. It's that important. I think that was Mimi. That was, was that Mimi. You? Well, yeah, I had to, like, I guess um, I kind of just stepped up. You know, I kind of soldiered up, and, and I was just there. Um, I, I didn't really feel there was any reason not to. Um, I have <coughs> dealt with my own um, possible non-existence in my life, you know, at the age of 15. I was diagnosed to pass away. So this subject isn't scary for me. Um, so maybe that contributed to why I'm okay with walking these journeys with my parents, um, or maybe not. But I would say most definitely facing my own possible death would give me more tools than someone who has always been healthy their whole entire lives. So in that aspect, I think stepping up was easy for me. Let's step back on that one for a minute. You just said a mouthful. I kind of did. Okay. So, you're saying because of your past and what you've been through, and we already know this about me, mm-hmm. she went through an awful lot, mm-hmm. and she was facing her own death. We, there are other Inevitable podcasts. death. She was yes. very sick for a long time, and um, here she is. At, she doesn't look 51, but she is. No. She's been through, yeah, right. She doesn't want anybody to know, but she is. I'm kidding. No, it's all good. But here <laughs> she is. In 15, she wasn't supposed to make 15. Here she is, yeah. 51. Yeah. Very courageous woman. And I call her a giant, even though physically she's small and cute. She is a giant of a, a person and a woman because she has stepped up. And, she's, you know, sometimes you go through these things and you can't understand. It seems so unfair and so difficult. And yet that's life and it happens. And you wonder... What can come out of this for the good? Here I am, going to die. I'm 15. The doctors tell me it's over. Get ready to die. And um, thank God she did it. But look at the purpose mm-hmm. that she yeah. couldn't have possibly known that it has come out of it. Right. Um, and look at how much she's learned and wh- what strength she has. Um, that's Mimi. And her, she's you. used her experience and the purpose that came out of it as a calling on her life. She has a great deal of empathy, not just compassion, and that's what we love about her. Thank um, you. She's not a little person. She's a giant, uh, and I yes. love her. Um, <coughs> but she mentioned something about she couldn't run away. Mm-hmm. She yeah. was going to just take it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and last time we talked, the problem I have, I do have this problem, but I don't consider it a problem. Other people might. Is When people run away in the face of this, Mr. Hero over here goes, where the heck are you going? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what I say, they're going. And I don't always have a great deal of, what do you call it, my computer doesn't, um, my brain. Your bandwidth? It doesn't. Processor doesn't It compute. doesn't, I get it. And I don't relate to it, except I go, whoa, stop. You, and you know, it doesn't always work. But maybe has an empathy and she an does. understanding about what this can do to a family mm-hmm, yeah. and different family members. And she's talked about it in some of their testimonials in the book. Those are powerful testimonials about and some of really the add to the book. Yeah. Yeah. I have to just say thank you to everybody who contributed testimonies because um, mm-hmm. they're anonymous, but they definitely help 
others in the book and Mm -hmm. I just want to acknowledge that this was a co-creation this was such a a beautiful gift that they even offered for I actually just asked a few few humans I know that have dealt with this I said how would you feel like maybe anonymously writing something for the book Uh and they were absolutely I would love to contribute, you know, because this needs to be talked about, and mm-hmm. I just want everyone to know. And it was kind of cathartic for them to be able to actually process it. And mm-hmm. then I, you know, s- held space for each human who did do a testimony and, you know, let them process with me. What's that know? mean? You uh, held space basically, and talk about when you're writing things down, things come up and mm-hmm. emotions come up. Right. And, um, to be able to hold a space and communicate and hear and have them be the sound, I could be the sounding board for them so they could actually really just see and look at what they're talking about and actually maybe just integrate it and process okay. it. Too much psychology here. I mean, not that it's not right, but yeah. let's, I want to hear what it means. Holding space, what did that actually mean in fact? Being a friend. Being a friend. Just being a friend and letting them, you know, vent and spill whatever they were hurt about. And actually hearing them and witnessing them. So you provided a safe container space place yeah. for them as a trusting, non-judgmental Absolutely. person uh, yeah. who was sincere and genuine in what you were looking for from them, and that they knew that they would be safe to tell you what was going, what was happening with them. Absolutely. And that's what it means to hold space. Correct. Okay. Correct. Good. And then that whatever they told me went to to you know my grave. Nothing. Nothing goes past me. Unless they agree to it for it, put it in a book, because it. it's going. But see, it's anonymous, so you'll never know who actually oh, wrote anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, the individual human who wrote each individual testimony in there will always be with me, and it sure. will. So, when you talked about processing, now I want to take all every word that sounds mm-hmm. too psychological and clinical and make it into something that anybody can relate to. What does that mean? Well. You know, when two friends get together and and you have a co-created conversation, like, you know, I hear and, and here I go with psychological words again. That's right. I'll take them uh, away. Just go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I basically just let them say whatever they need to say. Uh-huh. And then I witness what they're saying and, uh, you know, allow them to, to feel the pain or the sorrow. And I don't try to fix them. I just really actually just hear them Mm -hmm. and allow them to process it meaning get it out of them you know write it on paper verbalize it Mm -hmm. so that they can face it you know a memeism face it feel it change it i think we've talked about this Uh, what is it's a memeism it's face it feel it change it don't stay in the feeling don't get stuck in the feeling but without feeling whatever emotion or pain Mm -hmm. or feeling is behind what you're not facing if you don't feel that moment in time and walk through that there's no changing it you can face it and skip right over feeling it and then you're not going to change it okay interesting um you're right i you're on we usually break it down even more and you're, you're saying both interchangeably we don't the feeling state is what you're born with and that's a norm that's part of our brain and, and the way we pr- read things part of yeah. the way we pro- you know pick things up mm-hmm. but there's emotions that go mm-hmm. with experiences that are yeah. 
so strong, so overpowering that it's not just a feeling state anymore. It's a em- very strong emotional state. Absolutely. Okay, so you're using those interchangeably, and most people do. They do. We don't, yeah. but we, most people do. It helps to make this distinction. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, so, yeah. uh, yes. And interestingly, uh, I went to a funeral, a big one, uh, of the, my friend. Well, there were a couple of people there that I knew, and one had just lost his wife two months ago. And uh, I was watching him, and I'd known about it. And uh, once I realized who it was, of course, I, my heart went out to him because I'm losing my wife. And but I was, and I went, to, and, well, who I realized, and he was leaving. I went and, and talked to him, and I and I asked him what he was doing, and he, and he looked good. He's a nice-looking man, and he says, "Well, I go to the gym every day. I make, I stop smoking. I'm doing things to take care of myself, which are all good." And he looked pretty darn good, mm-hmm. except emotionally Mm -hmm. and I could see he was really grieving Um, great deal of empathy that Mm -hmm. I saw in him for the people the family and Mm -hmm. I was so touched by it but when I went up to him and asked him about that he said I no I I said are are you grieving are you dealing with the emotions of the grief and he said no I haven't and it's been two months at least and I said you gotta do that you're gonna have to come to grip he says well it's coming and I said everybody's different I get it Mm -hmm. but that's something you can't ignore and that's what Mimi's uh, saying right now that this is so Mm -hmm. important to bring about the transition the change to move on you've got to deal with what's there otherwise yes otherwise it plagues you and it can, and I said, this could really bite your heart if you don't take care of this. Yeah. You don't ignore it. Um, Mimi's saying the same thing, mm-hmm. that it's so important, and she, here she is. And I said to him, I said, I can't say his name, but I said, hey, I get what you're going through. I can help you if mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was the type of fella that needed a man, a man's man type. I saw a that. A safe place. A safe mm-hmm. place. Yes. And I saw that. And yes. um, I hope he took me seriously. He's a good man. I saw such sweet empathy in him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also saw this is a part of him. That, and I've heard this in lots of people. This, the grieving is so un- you know unique to individuals. And mm-hmm. he said, well, I feel that it's beginning to come. It had to be, it's had to be two or three months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't shed a tear. And I know people that have gone on longer than that. Yes. And it does affect them, and the it takes protracted. a toll. So yeah. I hear that that's what you're saying. Correct. It's so important to hold, that's what, hold that space, give them a safe place, yeah. and let them vent Yes. Um, verbally. We feel that that has to be emotionally and As physically, well. too, yes. um, which we help with. But I think Mimi's right on track. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a talk with people at hospice the other day saying, you know, and they're right at your side. They do that, too. Mm-hmm. But they're, I tell them, you know, and they're wonderful with me. They love me. We've worked with them before. For those people, now it's for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and our staff, they're coming to talk to all our team tomorrow, right? They are. But it was interesting, and I said, you know what? We do mm-hmm. other things that you guys need to think about, and that is this affects the body. This is affecting people have to have a way of getting this out. Yes. And talking about it may not be quite enough. Mm-hmm. And if, I said, for me, it definitely isn't. So we do the other we do the other parts too, and you have to. Mm-hmm. And they're very well meaning. Uh, hospice people are angels; they're wonderful, but they don't do that. And I feel you got to do the whole thing. Yes, um, I agree. And I know what Amy does. Yeah. she does that too. Mm-hmm. 
You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Today we're joined by Mimi Amaral, and we're talking about her recently published book, Death Before and After, A Survivor's Guide. Just before our break, we were talking a bit about the difficulty but the importance of working through the emotions of grief and what kind of what it takes to to be able to do that and how we can help each other to do that as well. Um, We were talking uh, about both the emotional and the physical side uh, or the uh, and the difference between feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So let's continue that discussion. And I do want to ask, I have some questions about the book specifics, but yeah, I don't, I I was just thinking to myself, don't talk too much because I want, I want to make sure that we get, this is about Mimi. Are are you getting her, is she hiding from the camera? I'm trying. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't let her. I know. Do you can run, but you can't hide. Because that can be very uh, reassuring yeah. to look at you. Yeah. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. No, and also Mimi has a very not all the time, but most of the time, she can well, that's uplift true for her. All of us. I know, but no, she can really be uplifting. Oh yes. Thank and you. her presence is very positive and encouraging and hopeful, a yeah. lot of the time. Almost and all the time. Um, she's wonderful that way. She's, Other times she's not, but she's most of the time she is. She's human and she can have her moments. But, but she's she, most of the time she is very, very truly. positive and uplifting. She, that's her. Yeah, and most Thank of the you. time, yeah. yeah. So she knows what she and she's been through plenty, and she still is going she through plenty. She is just the person to be writing this Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Why don't you ask her a question? Okay, okay. I, there are plenty of things I saw in the book that um, I know about already, but there were certain things that I hadn't heard defined before. And uh, I will she, do my best. This, this is before and after, and we were talking about um, specifically, I think, um, hospice and ho- and palliative care type of things. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. where it is in the book, but it's here. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing we need to. I wanted to clarify. Oh, was it the difference between palliative care and end of life care? I or wanted to tell us about those things, yes. and then I have a specific question about the preactive and the after phase. Actually, yeah. Wow. See, I never heard that before. You never heard of those. No. Okay, yeah. It's in the book. I'm trying to recall everything that was basically If you don't remember it, I do. I just read it last night. Right, yeah. No, you can definitely help out because it's been a little bit since I've written it and read the book. You know, I wrote a book and I'm the same way. I don't remember that stuff. He reads it and goes, wow. Now, go ahead. And I wrote that? Yeah, Yeah, I wrote that. I like that a lot. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I hear that. It's because it went your finished making it all you're right it does happen but don't worry hospice care is basically i think the main thing about hospice that i would really like to share Mm -hmm. is that i think uh, a lot of humans feel that once you're on hospice care that's it it's going to be towards the end and and this is the end of the 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 
loved one's life, but it's not because hospice care can come in and then what hospice care does is just help until they possibly can get on their feet a little bit again and then they go off. So you can go on and off of hospice cares for years. It's not the end stage. Now palliative care is more of the end stage where you're just keeping someone comfortable and you know they give medications to to lessen the pain. They give morphine most of the time to mm -hmm. help with the breathing. Mm -hmm. Morphine's really, really, really good mm -hmm. for helping end-of-life breathing process mm -hmm. because at the end of life, it gets harder to breathe. Mm -hmm. um, so they use morphine for that from what I understand. And morphine doesn't necessarily get rid of pain, but it is definitely used for the labored breathing. Mm -hmm. um, so the difference between hospice care and palliative care, I would be more inclined to say is that the palliative care is towards the very, 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 very end. Really? Because um, I thought it was like when people talk, and I know because we deal with just what you've experienced, we're experiencing yeah. with Lynn, and she's been in and out of hospice three yeah. times already. See, in hospice, I think twice, yeah. yeah twice? With yeah. hospice, you can do that. Hospice will come in, yeah. and it, you can get off a of hospice, and then they'll be on their own for a little bit, yeah. and then um, they'll go back on hospice. So I just don't... I would like to encourage others to think just because they say hospice doesn't mean, oh, my God, this is it. They're going to pass Absolutely. in a week because yeah. it doesn't no. work like that. No, no. And you, you know, know what? Nobody knows when the end is going to come. Yeah. Um, but they do come to a point, this is what, uh, what they call end-of-life issues, and hospice is more well-equipped than most MDs. Yeah. Uh, to deal with it. That's their specialty. Yes. Um, and what we find that even geriatricians, who we consider very, can be very good. Highly expert in yeah. geriatric issues. But when it comes issues. to the end of life issues, That's I would It's a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit different. I think yes. hospice has got more experience, really, and mm -hmm. expertise at it. They're certainly more uh, tuned into the family their f and the support yeah. of what, what it takes and they listen to what the family knows about the loved one mm -hmm. and they they don't judge it they don't use medical work to, to overpower the people mm -hmm. they listen and they go you're the experts you're the ones we're listening to you know what could be best but here's what we would suggest but yeah. we're paying attention to being ver they're very sensitive, Mind where point. MDs are not. No, the they have their own opinions about how things should go, and they, yeah. they come in hard. One thing about hospice is that they have always said what, you know, paid careful attention to what you were ready for. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to go on to this yeah, part? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not, and I don't think Lynn is either, and they trust that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Now, as I like to hear this because the hospice care... Like I th think we've discussed this in previous podcasts, in each county the hospice care is different. Which you mentioned yeah. in your book. Um, yes. Yeah, because in the county that my father was in, the funding was not there. That's so Lake County, right? It was, yeah, it was Lake County. It was um, not as efficient as one would want. Um, and in that case, the doctor, who I have the utmost respect for, was the more kind, empathetic human than the hospice care was. So it was just flipped for me than what you're explaining. Your testimony was in the book, yes. and it was it was powerful to hear what he said to you. Yeah. Just how what do you, what do you the remember? doctor... Go ahead. Yeah, what do you remember? What do you remember? Mimi was trying to care for her father when he, when toward the end. And he was having seizures, almost constant seizures. Uh -huh. And she went into a weekend without the medication that he needed, without any, any way to get the medication. Mm. And she was awake all weekend, mm. trying to honor her father's wishes to, to be at mm -hmm. home. Mm 
And finally, she and her mother decided together that they could not continue. Mm. Mm -hmm. They took her father to the hospital. And when he woke up and realized he was there and that he was not at home, the doctor stepped in and said, "Uh, Sir, your wife and your daughter are exhausted and they could Mm -hmm. not continue and you're here and we're going to do our best for you now. And they did. It was amazing. And I'm really glad it was him because my father is a man's man and he's old school Portuguese. And for another another man to be able to explain that so kindly and generously. And he kind of, my father had kind of a really soft heart for his doctor. He was like a younger man, kind of. My dad just really thought super highly of this Mm -hmm. young man. and basically it was just perfect it was it was it was the best thing that could ever happen was he just said this is the way it's going to be and my dad he was just got this calmness Mm -hmm. over him and he laid back down and he just stayed there like you know and they gave him seizure medicines and they gave him um the palliative care to keep him comfortable and we stayed there for five days holding his hand and and, you know, I just kept saying, you know, it's okay, Dad. You just exhale. You don't, just don't breathe back in. It's okay to leave. I got Mom. Can I say, was that a, uh, now, I've seen different hospice programs. Was that a hospice that unit? That was a hospital. I know, that's what I was going to ask. That wasn't a hospice unit in a hospital. Absolutely not. Okay. That was St. Helena Cancer Center, and that was Dr. Ethan Schramm. And if anybody is going through a cancer journey, I highly recommend that because he's an incredible doctor and an incredible human. That's wonderful. Yeah. I know when my dad was dying in Florida, they actually had a hospice uh, ward. In the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, in the hospital. And that, we don't have that here that I know. Yeah. Uh, Well, we don't deal with it that way. It's at home. And that's the way we want it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in in Florida, they actually have a a unit that's just a hospice unit. Yes, for an assisted living. And it's overwhelming to see all these people in a whole ward. And they're yeah. all in the last stages. Yeah. Yeah. It was so powerful. It's rarely do you ever see anything like that. To see people in their last throes fighting for the last breath. And mm-hmm. But I, it was quite touching. And um, yeah. but but I don't think the hospital is the best place most of the time. Yeah, I really don't. I have to no, agree. Maybe the value here is to describe what situation to look for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When have you got? things put together in a way that works for your family where are you going to find that and what should that look like yeah and we we wanted to have him at home but they just because of the hospice the county didn't have the funding we didn't have the right medications and and it it was just not it was just not going to happen and you know how different that is from petalumas oh you know how different that is from a lot of other i don't know i'm just finding out petaluma is considered one of the top notch hospices it it is yeah um, Same with um, uh, Marin County. Um, Hospice of Marin is amazing, uh, too, from what I hear. Boy, these people here are wonderful. Yes. But they do provide the medications. They're there when we need them day or night. Um, mm-hmm. That's beautiful. They're mar- I, I oh, like they're hearing marvelous. that. Yeah. I would say, you know, to me, a hospital is not the best place most of the time mm-hmm. um, yeah. for people that are in the last stages. Absolutely. Uh, but sometimes, like you said, it's exo- I saw you last week. I had been up all night with Lynn. I had an hour and a half of sleep. I was beyond exhausted. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a beyond a privilege. I wanted to be there for Lynn. Yeah. But I have five caregivers. 
That's beautiful. Yeah. How many yeah. people do that? Yeah. Because see, um, in the hospital with my father, yeah. that weekend I was awake for 50 hours straight. I did not sleep for I 50 hours. Uh, I, and uh, then we just couldn't do it anymore, so we went to the hospital. It is exhausting. Yeah. They brought in, when my dad had a private room, they brought in um, these, like, bed seats that we slept in, you know, so if my mom wasn't holding his hand, we'd transfer. I would hold his hand. Yeah. My um, sure. my former boyfriend um, flew in. He was the only other one who came and stayed in the hospital room with us. And this was us. the last five days of your dad's life? The last five days of my dad's I, life. Yeah. yeah. I was there with for my dad the last th four, I'm trying to remember, three or four days. Yeah. Um, and that was in a hospital. Yeah. But I remember just, you know, interesting, when I finally left and I was exhausted, he died three hours later. Mm, yeah. yeah. And they notified me. It yeah. was like I think five or six in the morning, and I had just left maybe at two thirty in the morning. Yeah. Mm. I had, I had <coughs> it happens that way, but I was there with him, and but uh, that was the, but that was really set up mm -hmm. strictly for hospice. I, yeah. We don't have that here, do we? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't either. either. You know, I, I, don't I don't know don't. that either. I but I don't that. hear it. I don't hear that. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that one. Well, I know you've got another question for Mimi, so let's hold that and. Uh, after the break, uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and we're here today with Mimi Amaral, the author of Death Before and After, A Survivor's Guide. And in our last segment, we talked about, Peter had a question about um, some of the aspects of hospice care and palliative care and uh, end-of-life uh, care and what kind of situations uh, we can look for and hope for for our loved ones. And you had another question well, about... That one I knew the answer to, but I wanted it for the public. But th there was something in it that I had never heard about called preactive and active phases of dying. Yeah, I think we should actually look in the book so we're accurate. But I think part of it is um, we can have, because he remembers where the, okay. where the pages are. Oh, this was but a test. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Totally. I failed. Oh, now it's we're holding okay. it. Does it have an index? I'm okay, right? Is this a helpful book with this an index? Called, um, we're called, this is called, called Holding called, Her I Accountable. I failed the test. Okay. Did she really write Basically, this book? Yeah, Multiple choice. I did. <laughs> Know something? It's all right. I wrote a book <laughs> and I do it all the time. Yeah, it's just so hard because I put so much in there, of course. you know. And there's actually um, like the uh, after, you know, the burial part that I would love to bring up because I know a lot. Uh, uh, let's save a little time yeah. for that. Okay. okay. But the the process, I know, like towards the um, the first approaches. active part is basically humans stop eating or slow down eating and that's a very important thing because when someone's on hospice or their loved one is in um, a care facility the caregivers want to continue to feed but the body slows down because it doesn't need the fuel from the food anymore so water slows down intake of food slows down and if you can communicate and I don't know exactly where in the pre-active or active um, but that's one of the main main signs of you know the body's just starting to gear towards slowing down, down and shutting down and not to fight that process I mean be able to communicate with your caregiver in in a facility or in hospice that it's okay if they don't want to eat don't force them to eat mm -hmm. 
Hospice knows that. Yes. Because they say that all the time. Yeah, yeah. they do. Yeah. yeah. But um, it, this is on page 68, maybe. Okay, of yeah, your I got to note this. Okay, <laughs> it's called Some of End of Life Signs. Yes. And uh, talked about some of this, and we've seen some of these the coolness, the confusion, mm -hmm. sleeping a lot, incontinence, yes. restlessness, congestion, urine decrease, fluid and food decrease, yeah. change in breath, and fevers. Yeah. Um, that is one phase. But I want to tell you something. Yes. People can come out of this. Yeah, they And do we've seen them go back to the out. other. That's it's true. amazing. Because yeah. when you see this and then you look at them, it's not linear. It's a roller coaster. No, yes. it's not. Um, anyway, but it says there are two. Uh, this page 69, Mimi? Okay, 69, guys. The, okay. 69. There are two understood phases of death, which are called the preactive phase and yeah. the active phase. Yeah. These aspects are usually discussed with the surviving family friends who are witnessing the death of a loved one toward the end of life. Yeah. Um, medical preactive pre phase means there's, an, there's increased confusion, agitation, and restlessness. We've seen that. Mm -hmm. Pausing in the breath, whether awake or asleep, we've seen that. Yeah. And I've seen really at the end, yeah. um, when I was in that ward in Florida, mm -hmm. it was unbelievable. They were really at the end. Mm -hmm. And the pauses of breath and the death rattles the and the sounds yes. uh, and the agitation mm -hmm. uh, and the restlessness and yet they're completely unconscious yeah mm -hmm. the and death rattle that's like a super bad congestion it sounds like yeah. but it's not um, and that's it's really hard to hear when you're with your loved one that it feel it sounds like they're almost Suffering. Suffering or drowning in, in fluid. But they're not. But they're not because of the medication and palliative care. They're actually comfortable, and the morphine helps with that right there. I know. Yeah. I was so surprised. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. But to see so many doing it. And yeah. one, why it's part of the process. It was overwhelming. Yes. Uh, reports of seeing people who already died. Okay, active phase. Mm -hmm. um, these are phases of getting to the dying. Inability to arouse the patient, mm -hmm. dramatic changes in breathing, mm -hmm. severely increased respiratory congestion or fluid buildup in the lungs, yes. darkening and decreased urine output, blood pressure dropping, we've seen these. Mm -hmm. And this says, again, these are merely a few significant signs of these two phases, but it's recommended to diligently research more. Yes. And while we're walking through the process, including researching each step, it's always recommended to talk with someone so you don't feel alone or isolated. Yeah. And by confiding in someone during this time of hardship, it may help to reduce some of the effects of losing a loved one or friend. It certainly yeah. can, it can help. Yes. Um, it's not going to alleviate what you have to go through, though. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. Again, you have to face it and feel it, all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this just goes to show that this was not... Um, you know, this is not programmed. We're flying by the seat of our pants here since he tested me and I couldn't remember what page. So <laughs> I have complete empathy, though. Do you have complete empathy? Sure. Yeah, I, write, I, I write a book and then I go yeah. to talk to groups. He comes in and he says, I read the this book. This is live. Do you remember this part? This yeah. is really good. How many times yeah. does that come up? And I go, that sounds really good. And they go, that's from your you book. You wrote that. Yeah. You wrote that. And I go, you're right. I forgot. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it's just because we've moved on to an another yeah. stage or project. I'm always like that with yeah. all of our projects. Once they're done, we're on. We move on. Yeah. Except that there is an area of the book that you about you wanted to bring up. 
Oh yes. What's um, that? And it, it's it's okay. You know, when you go to do burial, there's different beliefs and different desires, and and please putting a living trust what you want specifically. Well, you mentioned okay. living trust. Yeah, living trust, basically, or your medical directive, um, the human who is passing, or the elder, or the parent, or whomever is going to write one. Put specifics of exactly what you want, like especially your your end of life wishes. Like I want to be cremated. I want to be buried. I want. Okay, you know, you're saying this quickly. You're going to be able to find this and getting her book. All of it in the book. It's and thank you so much. It's all broken down specifically For in her book. book. So she goes over it quickly because she's off the top of her head. She knows it. Yeah. But it's all written in here, yeah, step yeah. by step. So and the you can get it on Amazon. Okay, um, so basically, the things that I wanted to mention were, um, I do talk about, you know, burial and cremation, but there's two things in there. One I talked about, one I didn't. And one is called um, a pod burial, what which I that? thought was great. I thought it was fascinating. I needed to put it it's in. It's in the book. Yes. And it's basically where a human body gets put into like a sack and gets buried in the ground and then there's a tree buried on top of the human body and I'm assuming that as it decomposes it gives nutrients to the tree and it you know makes the really? tree grow yeah it's called that a pod wonderful. burial it's beautiful it could be very meaningful wow. yeah especially since we need more trees in the world um, so that's, that's another <laughs> you know way mm -hmm. of you know, Mimi's from California. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I never heard of that. I never heard of it either. And then just the other day, I was in Starbucks talking to a gentleman. And I, I think he said Missouri is where the company is, but I don't remember the name of the company. But um, he and his family for a loved one recently ordered what they needed to build the coffin so they got all the family together. They actually had the stuff sent to the house. Mm. They did a total ritual. This is this oh, is a beautiful way to do a ritual and process and hands-on and cry and talk. Oh, and, oh. and they actually built the coffin. They had their loved one put in it, and then they buried it on a specific space, a land somewhere where they chose. No kidding. Yeah, and That's I didn't beautiful. know about that, but I, I, I heard it was some Missouri company. Um, very, very so, sweet. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful ritual. Is that in your? That is not in the book. That's the only one that's not in the book because I didn't know about too. it. You yes. got a lot in here, but not that. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's beautiful. I know I've been um, going through a lot of planning. Yeah. Um, for my wife and my mother. Yeah. Um, and I did it for other people in my family, and I'm usually the person that is responsible. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this but one I've been. You had spoken with with Lynn though. Because many times you'll say, no, this is what Lynn wanted. Mm -hmm. So you went ahead and you did what Mimi is talking about, which is talk before, find out what they want. That's Absolutely. right. And she even, we even picked out the cemetery. She wanted to be buried in. She said, I want to be here, Good. Um, which I followed her directives on. Yeah. Um, um, but I also, um, i got to say, because I'm not in a crisis this time, so mm -hmm. much nicer, I could get to know the people that are, that are selling it is it's marketing a and sales, huh? I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. And comparative shopping, and boy, there's, forgive me, there's no accountability for these people in this business because the prices can vary yeah. enormously at yeah. the same place over a short period. And they say, we can, we can do whatever we want. Yeah. And they do. No and it can be very costly, by the way. Yeah. Particularly burials. And uh, I know I put a certain amount away for Lynn, and so we're already over budget. But... Yeah. We'll do it anyway. Whatever Lynn, whatever I hope will make her happy, yeah. I'm going to do. 
But I've I've done a lot of things, and um, I've checked out mortuaries, the ones that are sweet and yeah. and loving. Um, um, what we're finding, I discovered this weekend. I had picked out a wonderful mortuary that people are just angels, and I love them. That's Adobe Creek. I want to put a. Okay. They are such good people, mm -hmm. yeah. and they helped me. We picked out the coffin. They're incredible, but their the chapel can hold 80 people. Well, that sounds like a lot. And then I went to a funeral this weekend where it was a big... Hundreds, right? Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Lynn is a very popular woman in Petaluma. She is, yeah. Holy mackerel. I mean, there are so many people interested in what she's going through, so many people that are inspired mm -hmm. and asking me. And I'm thinking, their chapel's not going to be big enough. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I, a, I was learning as I was going here, this is the better place for her, not as the mortuary, but as for the memorial service, mm -hmm. because it could probably hold 300 people or more. I don't know. Yes. But I talked to the pastor, and he, he knows us. And uh, I mean, I th it sounded like Zach was agreeable to working it out for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning as I'm going, because you don't have all the specifics down. I, I thought I have as many as I could do. Yeah. But there's still so many questions that are in my mind that I didn't have the exact answers for. Mm -hmm. I'm getting answers, mm -hmm. and that was one of them. So I'm, I'm learning, and it is really nice not to go in crisis mode oh to yeah. do all of this. That's what I hope this book does, too. You know, not, uh, other than allowing others to feel not alone during the process, mm -hmm. but to help maybe ease the crisis aspect of it, like just give a little insight, and then also create a safe way of bringing this subject up. And... And have families and friends and everybody talk about this. This this is inevitable. We're all going to be here. We're all going to walk this journey with somebody or so ourselves. True. So hopefully, you know, this book will allow um, the subject to come up in a healthy, safe way. So you know, we can all start having conversations. It absolutely, <laughs> around it, it does. And yeah. I don't, but there are certain people that won't. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. They're going to educate. We only me have again. about a minute, so you better get to it. At the end, are we almost? Yeah, we're to almost end? to the end. Okay, really? yeah, we are. She'll yeah. have to come back because I still have a question about what do you do about the people that don't want to talk about it and don't want to deal with this. You have yeah. to honor them. We mean honor them. Um, you you don't to beat the no, me. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer, That's Mimi, is no. Don't no, beat them up. <laughs> yeah, don't beat them up. So no, what do you do? It's just basically, you know, do the best that you can do. Embrace, and I'm going to say this fast, but embrace what you can tolerate and walk with your loved one. But allow others to have their process without throwing guilt or without trying to, you know, have any kind of resentment towards them. And yes, I can come back if you wish, um, and I'm grateful for the offer. I do want um, to come back. But to discuss this more, it, it's not everybody has all the tools that you have. Not everybody has all the tools that I have. And to expect or project um, someone else to do what you have the capacity to do, that's not fair to them. It's just not. You have to, we have to, be a little more tolerant of everybody else's process or path and journey and capacity to face something in their own time they will face it they will feel it and they'll have to deal with it in one way or another but to force somebody that is like asking no, for can't. trouble but you know i do know what yeah. you're saying yeah because part of me knows that and acts on that yeah there's just the other part of me that's left back from newark new jersey 
that says that doesn't work well. Right. Because, yeah, because yeah, you, you don't run away from anything unless you're yeah. in a yeah. web. But what I do know what you're saying is true. Yeah. Um, and I'm also finding that you need to find a way to forgive these people um, and realize that they aren't equipped. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to figure it out sometimes. And I'm a pretty smart guy. And I'm part of me can't always compute how they could do that. Maybe it's not much of forgiving them, but realizing that it has nothing to do with you. So then you don't have to forgive them yeah, because I, uh, it's not reflected upon you. You're, you're being you and doing your journey, and that's their journey. And rather than mm. you have to forgive them, it's not about you, it's about them. Okay, I told you she's a doctor. Don't let her <laughs> fool you, even though she's Mimi, um, a smart woman, and she's got a lot of empathy and heart. Thank you. And I love her. And we sure want you back. She thank must you so come much. back. Yeah, and thank you for being here today. And this yeah. book really fits with the so. safe space yes. so. that we want to put the message out in yeah. this book and you are on the same page. So thank I'm going to hold it up one more time. Death Before and After, A Survivor's Guide by Mimi Amaral, available on Amazon. And thank we you so endorse much. And we love her. And she's we love her and we endorse the book 100%. 100%. Wow, that means a lot. Thank you so much. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. If our podcast and the information it provides, and you've gotten some great information today, if it's benefited you, please consider supporting Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment at sctraumatreatment.org. Also, we're on social media, Facebook and Instagram. You can reach us at... 707-781-3335. Thank you for listening.